Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello and welcome to episode number 147 of the Draft Analyst, presented by the Believe Sports Podcast Network. Do you believe? I'm your host, Chris Tripodi, and with me, as always, is Tony Pauline. And after a week off due to some technical issues with Apple Podcasts, which are actually still ongoing, uh, but the show must go on, we're back with another look at the 2021 NFL Draft and taking a look at the back half of the SEC. But first, Tony... The big news items in college football Wednesday were both reactions to the coronavirus pandemic as Notre Dame will play in the ACC for 2020 and Virginia Tech cornerback Caleb Farley, who we discussed just two shows ago when we broke down the ACC, has opted out of the 2020 campaign to prepare for the NFL draft next year. Obviously, the latter is far more relevant to us here at the Draft Analysts. And Tony, do you expect that Farley's decision might be the start of a trend or is it going to be more of an isolated case? I think you're going to see a lot more. I think you're going to see what, what's going to happen is, or what I was told is going to happen is some of these bigger agencies, uh, the bigger representation places, uh, the bigger firms are basically going to go to these players and tell them, sit out the season, start preparing for the draft, and we will bankroll you until the 2021 draft. Because while college players are not allowed to accept money from agents, if they're no longer college players – they can accept money. So I think that you're going to see more of this. This is just basically the beginning. I haven't heard of any names. I haven't heard of any huge names coming out. I think what will happen is as we get closer to the season, what looks like, you know, thankfully the start of the season, you know, if there are some conferences or some teams that may be pulling back, you'll see a lot of those guys who may not have an option or if the season is going to start much later, I'm going to say, listen, I'm out of it. Uh, I'm, I'm just going to start training for the uh, combine, the pre-draft process for th- 2021. It definitely is. I don't think it's going to be a one-off incident with Farley. Yeah. I mean, if, if you look at it from a player, player's point of view and, and you say, Hey, you know, you're going to have agents coming to you saying, as you said that, you know, they're literally going to pay for you to not play football this year, avoid injury, which you weren't getting paid for anyway. And obviously you get to avoid everything else that could go on with the season. I mean, if you're going to get paid to do it and you're going to be able to stay healthy, you're going to be able to fully prepare for the draft more so than really any player, um, you know, has the opportunity to, if they play the season, especially if they go through the all-star game process, uh, which might be kind of the only downside to something like this uh, for at least a senior, um, you know, if they're unable to go through the all-star games and stuff like that, things that people really use in the pre-draft process to boost their stock. Sure, that could hurt some seniors, but if you're an underclassman, I mean, it it seems like it's almost nothing but benefits outside of the fact that you don't get to play football this year, but if you're playing football for the next 10 to 15 years of your life, I think that's probably something a lot of guys will be willing to give up. It's, you know, a case-by-case basis. Yeah, I I read today somebody played one place, I believe it was ESPN, saying the slub fall is going to be a first-round pick. I don't agree with that. And I've had Slim Farley graded since he was a freshman. I was very high. And we've talked about him. We, don't, we not only talked about him, uh, you know, two shows ago. We've talked about him last year because Slim Farley is a big physical corner. But he's got some inconsistencies in his game. So I, I think a guy like Slim Farley, if he plays in 2020, 
and he plays up to his level of ability and he shows progress, he would be a first-round pick or potentially a first-round pick. I think it's much harder right now, assuming everything else remains level and everything else is the same, it, it's going to be a m- lot more difficult for him to jump into that top 32. Yeah, I think it was Adam Schefter who uh, tweeted the news. And in that tweet, he said projected first round pick Caleb Farley. And, and that gave me a little pause, too, because, you know, we've as you said, we've talked about him as much or more than probably any other podcast out here as far as, um, you know, non-Virginia Tech related podcasts or non-ACC podcasts, because, yeah, he's a good player. And, and if he played this year, he possibly could have put himself into that mix. There was one guy who actually responded to the tweet and was like, Oh, now he's going to struggle to make a practice squad because he's not playing this season. I'm like, wow, you're really just taking this one in the other direction guy. But there's some crazy people out there on Twitter, Tony. I'll tell you this. uh, And you know, scouts I've talked to who have, who great underclassmen did not give Celeb Farley a grade. I, I mean, guys like Trevor Lawrence got early first round grades, we talked about Rousseau, the uh, defensive lineman from Miami. He got a mid-first round grade. Slub Farley was not given a grade by scouts who are uh, great underclassmen, the ones I've spoken with. And they said they, they don't know that he's gotten any grades uh, from scouts. And there was a lot of talk last year when I was poking my head around as to whether or not he was going to enter the draft. A lot of people thought that he didn't play that well in 2019. I, I don't think he played poorly in 2019. I think it's a situation where he didn't show a lot of progress between 2018 and 2019. So granted preseason grades are not the end all. In fact, sometimes they're way off the mark, but none of the scouts that I've talked to or that I know of who grade, uh, grade underclassmen going into their junior year, even graded Celeb Farley, never mind gave him a first round grade. Now, Tony, obviously the NFL has the draft advisory board in place where, you know, I think it gives players a first round grade, a second round grade, or a return to school grade. Is it something kind of similar with scouts in terms of if they grade underclassmen, they'll grade a first rounder, they might grade a second rounder, anyone else, they're just going to wait and see for them to either declare for the draft before giving them a grade or for them to return for their senior season? No, I've seen underclassmen given everything from an early first round grade to a sixth round grade and everything in between. So they don't do it for the player's benefit. They sort of do it to get a, a head start because of the amount of underclassmen that have entered the draft, you know, the past, what, 10, 15 years. Uh, and it changes the face of the draft. It's for the team's benefit. It's for the scouts' benefit. It's for the area scouts' benefit. So they will grade them anywhere from an early first-round pick. I haven't seen – I don't think I've seen any seventh-round grades, but I have seen some sixth-round grades given to underclassmen. All right, on to the SEC now, and they say to save the best for last, but on this show, we're going to front load it, and we'll start by breaking down the LSU Tigers. 14 players drafted in April for the defending champions, five of those in round one, 10 in the top 100. For some perspective, LSU had 10 players drafted the prior two years combined. So it was truly a historic year for the Tigers with almost no chance of repeat, which is what happens in a lot of these scenarios, especially when it's so underclassmen heavy. But that's not to say that the cupboard is bare at LSU. Wide receivers Jamar Chase and Terrace Marshall Jr. are now draft eligible as true juniors. Chase, despite playing with first-rounder Justin Jefferson, led the team in receiving yards and touchdowns. Obviously, those numbers are going to drop with Miles Brennan under center. He's not going to score 20 touchdowns again um, you know, without Joe Burrow there. But the talent is going to remain in terms of his NFL future. Chase has the speed to get downfield. He's got the body control and concentration to win in traffic. Really the full package 
at wide receiver. Marshall, not quite as complete a player. He's not going to threaten the deep field or produce yards after catch like Chase will. But all that means is instead of being a potential top 10 to 15 pick, he's a day two pick instead. Senior linebacker Jabril Cox comes over from North Dakota State as a graduate transfer, led the Bisons in tackles two of the past three years, at least 90 tackles in each of the last two seasons. He lacks great size like a lot of the linebackers we discussed, but he's excellent pursuit. He's also a capable blitzer with six career interceptions and 12 pass breakups. Really a guy who dominated at the FCS level and who scouts really like for the NFL too. Isn't that right, Tony? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Cox is a guy that's getting uh, top 60 grade from scouts. He's a fierce uh, sideline to sideline linebacker. I think it's a great move for him to go to LSU. It's a step up in competition. He now shows or he gets the opportunity to prove he can play with the big boys in the SEC. So uh, there's a lot riding on the line. The skill is there. He's just got to stay healthy and he's got to come out of the gate hot and play at a high level every week, which I expect him to do. You know, you talked about the two receivers, Jamar Chase, as well as Terrence Marshall. Those were two underclassmen who actually got graded by scouts. Jamar Chase got an early first round grade from scouts I've spoken with, while Terrence Marshall got a second round grade. Chase, I agree with you. You're going to likely see a production drop because Joe Burrow's not there. But, you know, there's no doubt about it. This guy is a special receiver. He is a natural receiver. He's a big play receiver. He shows great focus. He's got uh, soft, supple hands. He wins out for the contested throw. He's more than an athlete. You can tell watching the film, he gets it between the ears. I, I mean, he is a dominant number one receiver at the next level. I expect him to be an early first-round pick uh, in 2021 because I think one way or another, he'll be in the draft. I like Terrence, uh, Terrace Marshall a lot. I think he kind of runs parallel to Justin Jefferson in the sense that you know, he's a, he's a good number two on LSU. He doesn't get the headlines because he's going to be overshadowed. As I said in my piece in Pro Football Network, Terrace Marshall would be a number one receiver at most big-time uh, 1A programs. It's just that he's playing with Jamar Chase, and he's overshadowed. But there's no doubt about it. He is a, a legitimate next-level uh, prospect. Uh, he's not as fast as Justin Jefferson, but he's an outstanding uh, receiver. One last guy to keep an eye on, someone who really didn't play all that well last year, primarily because he struggled to, to see uh, playing time at, due to the fact that LSU had so many outstanding linebackers uh, on their depth chart. Damon Clark, you go back and you watch the 2018 film. He was lights out. I had him graded as a potential top 100 pick. Obviously, due to the fact that he saw reduced playing time last year. I had to drop him down around. But even when he played in 2019, he was he made a lot of solid plays on the field. Going to be a starter this year. Uh, he's a guy that no one's talking about. People should keep an eye on. Then moving on here to Mississippi, a team that had at least four players drafted in four straight seasons and 19 total before having none in 2020. Shouldn't happen again in 2021, though. But it is mostly third-day prospects for the Rebels starting with a linebacker who is kind of in a similar mode to Cox, who we just discussed, and that's junior Jacques Jones. 71 tackles last season, run-and-chase type of linebacker, but willing to mix it up with blockers too and some ability to penetrate the backfield as well. So he's a solid player. Linebacker Lakia Henry, junior college transfer, led Old Miss last year over Jock Jones, who had 71 with 88 tackles. Similar size to Jones, not quite as fast or as explosive, 
but a player many scouts do peg as a potential day two guy. And while senior defensive end Tarikius Tisdale isn't a day two guy, his upside sure could get him there. Good size, strength, and athleticism. Just not that great at football yet. Only three career sacks and might not begin the season as a full-time starter, but regardless, he should play heavy rotational snaps. And if he can take his athletic ability and turn it into production, he's going to end up starting sooner rather than later. Tisdale is a true sleeper. I mean, here's a guy who I gave him a fifth round grade. There are some scouts I spoke with who, who feel he's fifth, sixth round, but you got to love his upside. Six, four and a half, goes about 290 pounds. He plays and he times in the high four eights, low four nine area, if you will. He's an explosive guy, strong for his size, rarely off his feet, makes a lot of impact type plays uh, at Mississippi when he's on the field. I think with the new coaching staff there, with his big playability, you're going to see Tisdale move into the starting lineup. I think he's one of these guys that can make a major move up draft boards. As I said, I have him graded as a late fifth rounder. Wouldn't surprise me if he has a big year and then turns into a top 125 potential, top 120 pick because of the athleticism, because of the ability to impact games from the defensive line, and he's got some versatility. Lakia Henry's all over the board as far as scouts is concerned. I, I spoke with some of them who have him as a day two selection. I spoke with some of them who have, have him as a late fifth rounder. I agree with the latter. I have him as a late fifth, early sixth rounder. He's a solid player, but he's kind of streaky. He doesn't play to his uh, 40 time. He's got decent, uh, decent size. He's not, not anything exceptional. More of a run first type of a linebacker. I do like Jacquez Jones. I have him presently graded as a fourth rounder. Like you said, he's a fast run and chase linebacker, outstanding in, in pursuit, explosive, very sudden. Really, you know, what teams want in the linebackers these days, the smaller guys they can get from point A to point B in no time at all. Now, Mississippi State, unlike its in-state rival, actually placed players into the 2020 draft, five of them, in fact, including three in the first two days, a number that is really unlikely to be matched. Only senior running back Kylan Hill grades out in the top four rounds for the Bulldogs. Hill did have over 1,300 rushing yards in 2019. He's got good size. He's a solid athlete with good quickness as a runner, but he's not quite fast enough to get to the corner or outrun speedy linebackers. Doesn't really stand out as a receiver either. So it's hard to see him going too, too high in the draft. KJ Costello is a graduate transfer from Stanford at quarterback. Good size and arm strength, but really lacks precision as a passer. Took a big step back after an impressive 2018 season. Now he did deal with the concussion and a thumb injury, but he also wasn't great when he was actually on the field. Does get a fresh start now, though, for his final year of college football. And Costello's top target should be senior wide receiver Osiris Mitchell. Led the Bulldogs in receptions in 2018 and receiving yards in 2019. Yet, he hasn't cracked 30 catches or 500 yards in either of those seasons. That could change with Costello under center in a more pass-friendly offense. Mitchell, as a player has great height, catches the ball consistently well, but the concern is really similar to a lot of the bigger receivers that we discussed on this show. How fast is he? Very reliable. I have him great as a six-rounder. I know there are some scouts who think he's more fourth-round uh, talent. I agree with you. You know, a bigger, more possession-type guy. I think he's someone who's going to struggle to get under four, five, five when he runs. But, you know, he's one of those, uh, you know, those towering receivers who wins out for the contested throw. It's going to be very interesting to see how K.J. Costello 
performs under Mike Leach. Obviously, Costello's got to stay healthy. That was a problem at Stanford. Uh, He's got to improve his consistency. But he's got big-time physical skills. There's no doubt about it. He's got legitimate next-level skills. I have him graded as a fourth-rounder. That's the place where most scouts have him. He's got a terrific arm. He can make all the throws on the next level. He's got pocket passer size. He's got great stature. And when he's on his game, he is really, really good. Let's hope he stays healthy. It'll be fun to watch him under Mike Leach now at uh, Mississippi State. Kylan Hill, there was that whole situation last year, which I actually was the first to break on Pro Football Network. He publicly announced that he was going to enter the draft. Then he retracted, and he said he's going back to school. Uh, You know, as you said, he's a solid college running back, but he's more of a uh, between-the-tackles, downhill type of guy. He's not a perimeter runner. There's no great special feature of his game other than the fact that he runs very hard and shows the ability to pick up yardage off initial contact. One other player to keep an eye on, Greg Island, the uh, offensive tackle who may be pushed into guard, graded anywhere from a seventh-round pick to as early as a mid-third-round pick from scouts. I like him as a six-rounder. I think he's got you know real good NFL size, strength, and a body type. I just don't think he's got the great athleticism. He doesn't show great range on the field. Now staying in the M's, but moving just a bit west and north, Missouri had two draft picks in April for the second straight year, and the Tigers have a good chance to make it three in a row with two draftable seniors on their board in defensive tackle, Akio Byers, and wide receiver Damon Hazleton. Byers has good size, gets off the line well, limited production though so far in his career, but he could see an uptick there in his first year as a full-time starter, whereas Hazleton, lots of production early in his career, really looked like a future pro a few years ago, had a solid freshman debut for Ball State, transferred to Virginia Tech, and then put up a 51-catch, 802-yard, eight-touchdown season for the Hokies back in 2018. Took a step back last year, though. Now he goes from the ACC to the SEC, and he joins a team without a set starting quarterback heading into the season with Kelly Bryant gone. Hopefully, Hazleton can get himself back on track because he does have the size and the hands to be a third-day pick if he pans out. The top underclassman on the roster, junior linebacker Nick Bolton, another smaller guy, led the team with 107 tackles last year, and nobody else on the team even topped 50 tackles. So if somebody was making a play on defense for Missouri, it was most often Nick Bolton, works hard to get involved, also has the speed to get himself where he needs to be as well. Tony, how high can Bolton climb on draft boards? You know, I have him right now as a fourth rounder. Uh, he's a little bit vertically challenged. I don't. I think he's a guy who's probably not going to measure in at six foot tall, which is kind of going to limit him. But again, I mean, he's fast. He's fierce. He plays big football. He goes sideline to sideline in the nick of time. He sells out. I mean, he forces the action up the field on the blitz, but he's got size limitations, and, and those types of guys tend to fall. But he is an explosive defender. Uh Akil Byers is, he's sort of like the, the, uh, the, the Tisdale from Mississippi. He's sort of that type of player in the sense that he's got a terrific amount of upside. He's got good size. He's got good athleticism. He's not the playmaker of Tisdale, although he shows the ability to make plays behind the line of scrimmage, uh, uses his hands well, fundamentally sound, great upside. He's just got to meet it. Damon Hazleton, the former Virginia Tech receiver, is coming off a real poor campaign in 2019. So poor that he's basically been ignored by scouts. But if you go back and you watch Hazleton early in his Virginia Tech career, he showed a lot of ability. The ability went out for the contested throw. He's got excellent length. 
just shows good focus, his concentration. He's just got to get back to where he was in 2017, 2018 to have any chance of uh, being drafted. A lot of scouts really like La- uh, Larry Roundtree. When I say like, I'm talking fourth round area. I think Roundtree's a solid college player. I just see no great physical skill in his game that projects well to the next level. He's got average size, 5'10", 205, 207 pounds. He's not exceptionally fast. I think he's a potential situational ball carrier for the next level, but I don't see him as anything other than a potential very late-round pick. Now heading over to South Carolina, Gamecocks had four selections in this year's draft. That was the most for them over the last five drafts, and they do have three straight years with a top 40 pick. But unfortunately, nobody on the roster really fits the bill this season. But South Carolina can make it four straight years with a top 100 pick because of junior cornerback J.C. Horn. A starter since his true freshman season in 2018, Horn does have zero career interceptions on the stat sheet, but on film, his ball skills are solid. He's got good size and athletic ability, and he's a willing run defender as well, has at least 40 tackles in each of his past two seasons. Junior linebacker Ernest Jones led the Gamecocks with 97 tackles as a sophomore, another linebacker who really thrives in pursuit and another year of high-level production to go along with his explosive athleticism could really boost his draft stock. Moving over to the offensive side of the ball, offensive tackle Dylan Wanham, the younger brother of DJ Wanham, who was drafted by the Vikings in April's fourth round, does carry a fourth-round grade himself. Just like Horn, Wanham became a starter as a true freshman. He just did it midway through the season, broke in at right tackle, and should be back at that spot in 2020. May end up as an NFL guard, but not due to a lack of athleticism, which we talk about a lot of times with players, but because he actually moves so well, and it just might be the best use of his skill set. The operative word when it comes to South Carolina and their next level prospects is upside. These are guys who are all good athlete that have shown flashes of ability that have a high upside, but really have to develop as football players. Like you said, horn on film flashes ability doesn't have great stats, but he's got size. He's physical and he's fast. It's just a matter of him taking his game to the next level. Same thing with Wanham, very athletic tackle, May be pushing the guard because he's got more guard height, but he shows good footwork. He covers a lot of area, shows the ability to block in motion. Ernest Jones, another one of those undersized, run-and-chase type linebackers, uh, someone who goes, who's terrific in pursuit, goes sideline to sideline. And keep an eye on receiver Shy Smith, someone who I grade as a six-rounder. There are some scouts who think he can go in that fifth-round area. Smaller guy, slot receiver type guy, return specialist, If he has a big year, he could move into the middle rounds. Now, Tennessee, after a two-year draft drought, 2015 and 2016, has had draft picks in three of the past four years, including two in April. One of those was defensive end Daryl Taylor, who went number 48 to Seattle. And the Vols could actually have a player selected even earlier than that in 2021 in senior guard Trey Smith. Pretty much the consensus top senior prospect when you talk to scouts. Missed some time in 2018 due to blood clots, but bounced back last season and shouldn't suffer a similar fate to another former top senior prospect named Trey, Washington offensive tackle Trey Adams, who ended up undrafted due to lingering injury issues. Doesn't appear to be the case with Smith, however, who has excellent size and strength, has played tackle as well in his career in addition to guard, which can only help his draft stock, especially when we're talking about him as a potential top 40 pick. It is a steep drop to Tennessee's next viable prospect, though, That senior wide receiver, Josh Palmer, carries a fifth-round grade at the moment. With Juwan Jennings and Marquez Callaway gone, 
Palmer stands to improve on his 34 receptions for 457 yards and one touchdown in 2019 as the frame to win contested passes. He's shown downfield ability as well. So this is a guy who we could see rising up draft boards, albeit not to the height of his teammate, Trey Smith. Decent size, decent hands. I, I mean, basically with Tennessee, it's Trey Smith and everyone else. And everyone else is a possible last, last day pick, second half of the last day. But when it comes to Trey Smith, he is beloved in the scouting community. When I say beloved, I mean anywhere from a mid to late first round pick right now. I have him as a first, second round pick, uh, early second round pick. Want to see him get through another season healthy. He's got terrific size at six foot five, almost 330 pounds. He shows agility. He's not a stiff guy. He blocks with his legs. He's not an arm wrestler. Keeps his head on a swivel. Uh, not a real dominant offensive lineman, but someone who can adjust. Someone who's got some potential blocking emotion. Does a lot of different things very well. And as you said, he's got, he's got experience to tackle. He's got tackle size. So he's got that position versatility. Want to see him stay healthy. Want to see him elevate his game. But hands down, the number one senior prospect by most scouts I've spoken with. Now, Texas A&M, after having a whopping seven picks in 2019, fell down to two in April. Ten straight drafts with a top 100 pick for the Aggies. And most pundits have won to two of them ranked in the top 100. Tony has just one, however, and that's junior linebacker Anthony Himes III. Missed most of the 2018 season with a lower leg injury. Came back last year with 73 tackles, 10 and a half for loss. He's a good athlete and, again, much like the other linebackers we've discussed on the show, good in pursuit. But he also shows some ability in coverage, just a bit smaller than even those guys. Really kind of a, a tweener right in between linebacker and safety size. Now, quarterback Kellen Mann is that other potential top 100 guy that scouts like. A guy I know that Tony is lower on than most scouts, but with Mond, the physical package really is intriguing. He's got the arm strength. He's got the athleticism. But while his completion percentage jumped last season, he actually threw for fewer yards and fewer touchdowns on a similar number of attempts. So his on-field accuracy as a whole, even if the numbers say different, really didn't change that much. Even it may have taken a step back. I mean, Mond is often seen leaving balls high and behind receivers, doesn't necessarily sense pressure or react to it very well. All of that really needs to improve for Mon to be a serious consideration on day two in next year's draft. And it really seems like some scouts are kind of baking that improvement into their draft grades without actually seeing it on the field. When in reality, those are some of the tougher traits for a quarterback to improve on, even when they get significant game experience. Mond is your classic thrower, not a passer. He's your classic athlete, not a quarterback yet. He's got all the physical skills, but like you said, the, the uh, accuracy is very spotty. The pass placement is even spottier. The passes go all over the place. Oftentimes, he's staring down the primary target. It's a matter of people are expecting him to meet his upside potential, and he's got a lot of upside potential. As you said, my concern is, you know, accuracy is a very tough thing to coach, and there's a lot of things that go into it from uh, technique, the release of the ball, foot placement, and sometimes it's tough to break those habits. He's going to be drafted. He could be drafted, you know, in the top 125 because people see those physical skills and they feel they're going to, uh, they're going to coach the best out of him. But there's some downside risk to his game. You talked about Anthony Hines. Anthony Hines, as well as his teammate Bobby Brown, the defensive tackle, those are two examples of underclassmen that were given late round grades by scouts 
I, I absolutely love Hines. He's probably got better size than most of the quote-unquote smaller linebackers, 6'3", 225 pounds. He's fast. He's explosive. He gets to the action quickly. He gets good depth on his pass drops. Bobby Brown's got decent size, uh, 6'3", 312 pounds. He's shown flashes. He's just got to elevate his game. They also have two tackles, guys that we spoke about a year ago, who figure as late-round picks. Dan Moore Jr., who is a real good athlete, uh, who's got upside. He's probably going to kick into guard at the next level. But like, say, Kellen Mond, he's got to be cut, learn to become a better, uh, better football player. And then Carson Green, who's not as good as an athlete, but he's fundamentally sound. He understands the position, and he's a guy who I think can definitely play tackle at the next level. And moving along to the final team in our SEC preview this year, and that is the Vanderbilt Commodores. Just one draft pick in 2020, despite lots of high hopes entering the season. That one pick was running back Keyshawn Vaughn, who went to Tampa Bay in round three, which actually kept the streak of top 100 picks from Vanderbilt alive. Streak now stands at four years, and senior defensive end Dio Odeyingbo can make it five, the younger brother of 2019 UDFA from Vanderbilt, Dare Odeyingbo. Dio is an excellent athlete, has a nice five-technique frame, needs to gain some weight, but does have the physical potential to do so. And in addition, he's a really good athlete. 18 and a half tackles for loss in two years as a starter, only four sacks, but a lot of that low number is because of the role he plays on Vanderbilt's defense. He is going to need to improve as a pass rusher if he wants to go in the top 100, though. Cornerback D.C. Williams started a couple games in 2019 before missing a month due to injury. Didn't get his job back, but he should for the 2020 season. And Williams is a guy that has shown enough in eight career starts to inspire some confidence that he could work his way into the late rounds if he can put in a full season in 2020. Yeah, Williams actually caught my eye when he started his college career at Wisconsin. Smaller guy, someone you're going to play over the slot receiver using dime packages, but he's fast. He's got decent ball skills. Getting back to Adaya Ingo, this guy, if he meets his potential, he's going to go top 75. He could go even earlier because he's got an incredible uh, NFL physique. He's an outstanding athlete. He runs as fast as many linebackers. He's explosive. They just have to use him correctly at Vanderbilt and allow him to make plays on the ball. And one last guy I want to talk about, Dimitri Moore, the inside linebacker. A little bit undersized, but smart, instinctive, makes a lot of plays on the ball with his head and his instincts. And now, normally we would end the show like that, but we're actually going to do a little something different this week, kind of alludes to something we talked about in the intro as far as draft grades and how they change in one season. Tony, what are we thinking? Well, you know, with all this talk about what's going on with COVID-19, basically in, in the outer world and how it may affect the sports world, especially the upcoming college football season, hopefully we have a full season. And it, all signs are pointing to that. But what I wanted to do when I talked to Chris about it is let's just assume this, the COVID, uh, COVID-19 situation took place a year ago. And let's assume it wasn't as good a scenario as it's looking right now in the sense that the season, the college season was canceled or even the college season was reduced. How would, would it have affected the players that were selected in the early reaches of the 2020 NFL draft who came from the SEC? Case in point, Joe Burrow, the first pick of the draft. Joe Burrow entering the 2019 season was graded as a fifth round pick by NFL scouts. So if COVID-19 had affected 
the 2019 season to the point where it was a reduced season or the season was canceled, you know, Joe Burrow is not the first pick of the draft. Even at a reduced season, there's a chance Joe Burrow isn't even a first-round pick. If there's no season at all, gosh forbid, in 2019 because of COVID-19, the way people are talking about the upcoming season, very good chance Joe Burrow isn't selected until the last day of the NFL draft. So we're going to go player by player and just give our opinions as to what may have the 2020 draft look like for the SEC if COVID-19 had affected the 2019 season the way people are concerned it may affect the 2020 season. Now, some people, Tony, may think you're a bit crazy for what you said, that Joe Burrow would not have been a first-round pick in a shortened season. But let's go back to, I guess, last October last year um, when you know Joe Burrow obviously comes out of the gates hot, even started SEC play strong. But because he was so lowly rated before the season started, people were still in wait-and-see mode with him, even though, listen, he looked like a different player. You know, we talked about it on the show, but at the same time, you know, you look at a guy and you want to see a full season out of him. You want to see him keep his foot on the gas. And obviously he did that Heisman Trophy. They won the national championship. So he came out and he proved that he was deserving of being the number one pick in the draft. But even in a shortened season, I mean, Joe Burrow doesn't have that opportunity to, uh, to make that same run. He doesn't have the opportunity to put 15 games on tape for NFL decision makers. And, and that's a big deal when you enter the season as a fifth rounder and a guy who really hadn't shown any high level production, you know, at all before that in his career. There was no letter from Burrow and he got better as the season went on. And he kept proving that the week before was not the exception to the rule. It was not, he wasn't a one weekend player. You know, he was good uh, at the start of the season, good in, in the victory against Alabama, good in the SEC title game incredible in that semifinal championship game, uh, semifinal game against Oklahoma, real good against Clemson. So for some reason, there was a shortened season last year. He's going to miss out on a lot of the opportunities where, you know, he was in the national spotlight and the focus was on him. Granted, he had great talent around him, but there's no doubt. There's no doubt about it. I, I mean, I, I think Andrew Thomas probably would have been a very early first round pick. By the fact, by just by the nature that he was a terrific player in 2018, coming out of his sophomore season, people projected him to be an early pick. Plus, he plays left tackle. You know, Tua Tagliavoa. If there, were, if COVID-19 had affected the 2019 season to the point where there was a partial season or there was no season at all, guess what? The first pick of the 2020 draft is very likely Tua Tagliavoa, because if there's no season, Tagliavoa doesn't get injured. If there is a partial season, there's less of a chance that Tagliavoa has that nasty hip injury that basically, you know, knocked him to the fifth pick of the draft. Yeah, I mean, if we're going to keep going down the line here, just in order, I mean, two picks after two, Derek Brown went. I mean, this is a guy that people thought going into the season was going to be a first-round pick. So I think it's safe to say that he also would have been a first-rounder in either shortened or a canceled season. C.J. Henderson, cornerback from Florida, went number nine. I would say the same thing for him. So we have everyone except Joe Burrow that went in the top nine, probably ends up being a first-round pick, again, in a very high first-round pick. But then you have the next three guys here, Jedrick Wills at 10, Henry Ruggs the third at 12, and Javon Kinlaw at 14. I mean, those guys, I, I'm not going to say no that they would not have been first-round picks, but 
these guys were viewed as, you know, late first to late second round type of guys. You know, Kinlaw might have been at the top of the second round on a lot of boards. Um, you know, he made some moves up the board during the pre-draft process at the Senior Bowl. Obviously, Henry Ruggs got to put another year of film on tape, and, and Dredrick Royals really, you know, boosted himself into the conversation as being the top tackle in the draft. And I don't think any of those things happen if there's no season or even a shortened season, which means these guys, you know, three top 15 picks could end up outside the first round in that kind of scenario. They may have been first round picks, but they're not top half of round one picks. I mean, Jedrick Wills showed a lot of improvement in 2019 to his credit. Then went on to have a great combine. You got it. You got, we got to cancel that out because he would have probably had the combine anyway. But again, you know, like Joe Burrow, he showed, week in and week out improvement. Henry Ruggs, you knew about his speed and he showed more big play potential in 2019, which is what helped boost his draft stock, was solidified by the 40 time that he ran uh, at the combine. I mean, if he doesn't have the 2019 season, Ruggs is probably a first round pick, but he's a late first round pick. You know, Javon Kinlaw lost what, 30 pounds prior to the season? came in with an entirely new body, an entirely new uh, impact on the game. So I, I think Kinlaw is one of those guys that if he doesn't have the 2019 season or, uh, you know, a, 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 as much of the 2019 season as he has, as you said, he's probably a, uh, uh, he's probably a second round pick. Jerry Judy, on the other hand, may have been the guy who would have been impacted the most or benefited the most if there wasn't a 2000. 19 season because Jerry Judy probably would have been a top 10 selection, top 12 selection off the 2018 campaign. Yeah. I mean, Judy probably takes Ruggs spot at number 12. I mean, I don't think the Raiders, you know, as much as they've always loved speed from the Al Davis days to now, uh, I don't think the Raiders take Henry Ruggs based off of 2018, especially compared to Jerry Judy and what he was able to do. Um, there was actually a four-pick lull here, which is the largest lull for the SEC in the first round last year, which will happen when you have 15 players selected in a round. Um, but Caleb Von Chason and, and Justin Jefferson went 20 and 22. Patrick Queen went 28. All LSU teammates of Joe Burrow and all guys that would not have gone in the first round if it was a canceled or shortened season. Justin Jefferson was, you know, a guy that play, people liked, but he was more of a mid-round type of prospect, you know, third, fourth round, a guy people liked but didn't you know, didn't see him blowing up like he did. Obviously, a lot of people didn't see that as a whole with LSU. Um, Caleb Von Chason couldn't stay on the field, didn't have that one season of high-level production to prove that he, you know, had that kind of potential as a pass rusher in the NFL. And, and Patrick Queen, I mean, the guy didn't even play before this season because you mentioned all the talent at linebacker at LSU. Uh, he didn't even have a chance. Jacob Phillips was the guy that everyone thought was the best LSU linebacker heading into last season. Phillips did end up being a third-round pick, but obviously Queen shot his way all the way up into the first round. I mean, none of those three guys end up as first-round picks if they don't have an entire 2019 season to put on tape. No, I mean, what you said about Patrick Queen was right on the money. Chazon stayed healthy, and he showed a lot of impact. Justin Jefferson showed tremendous improvement in his game last year. I mean, tremendous improvement, which is why, and then he ran incredibly fast to the combine which is what cemented him as a first-round pick. Granted, he would have had that combine time. Well, we've got to assume he would have had that combine time, but he wouldn't have had the entire body of work he showed in 2019 uh, uh, underneath him. Isaiah Wilson, I don't think he's a first-round pick. Uh, a year ago when we were talking about Isaiah Wilson, I had him graded as a top 75 selection 
but he really showed a lot of improvement last year. Go back. I've said this time and time again. Uh, watch the Notre Dame game because that Notre Dame game really changed on a dime. Isaiah Wilson sat out the first half with an ankle injury. He went in the – and uh, Notre Dame was just rushing uh, from, from the right side. It was like a sieve. Uh, they were able to get so much pressure on him. Wilson came off the bench, played injured, solidified the right side of that line, and then Georgia went on to win the game. No way, Igby Noheen, there's no way he's a first-round pick if, they, if he didn't play, if there's no season in 2019. I mean, he's literally a mid-round pick. He's a third, fourth-round pick, but he played so well in 2019. He pushed himself into the uh, first round. Uh, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, again, uh, just like Justin Jefferson, just like Joe Bow Burrow, showed a tremendous improvement in his game, which is why he was a first-round pick, and which, which is why he was taken before DeAndre Swift. If there's no 2019 season, or the 2019 season is, say, cut short because of uh, – or, or a fraction of what it was because of uh, COVID-19, DeAndre Swift is a first-round pick before Clyde's Ed, Ed, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. You could also make the case that Christian Fulton – Probably would have been a first-round pick or a potential first-round pick. He certainly would have been selected higher than Noah Igmanohin, uh, coming off the 2018 campaign where scouts loved him. And then another guy who would have been selected much, much higher would have been Grant Delpit of LSU. It's funny to see all these LSU offensive players step into the first round because of the season. And then you have multiple LSU defensive players. I know Chazon and Queen jumped into the first round too. So it's even on two and two, but yeah, Delpit and Fulton are first round picks. Uh, if there's no 2019 season, um, you mentioned, you know, Igben Agni moving up. I mean, before the season, there were definitely people that would have thought Javaris Davis had a chance to go ahead of Igben Agni. Obviously, Igbenogany has the season that he has, ends up as a first-round pick, and Javaris Davis goes undrafted. Obviously, there's a big size difference between the two, but I mean, those guys were both in that late day two, early three range as prospects, so it's, it's just funny to see what one season can do, even a pair of teammates there. And speaking of teammates of those guys, Prince Tego Inogu. Um, I mean, obviously, his is injury-related, but if he doesn't have to play a full 2019 season – on an injured knee, he gets his surgery earlier. He participates in the pre-draft process. Uh, you know, maybe he doesn't end up quite as a first-round pick. I know there are some people out there who had him graded that highly. I think you did um, as well, Tony. I think you had him as a first-round pick. I mean, people had him up there. Doesn't mean he goes up there. But if he's not injured and he doesn't have that concern and he gets a pre-draft process, I mean, there's a good chance that he ends up as a first-round pick instead of being just a late-round steal for the Philadelphia Eagles and, and even a guy like Raquan Davis, uh, you know, goes late in the second round to Miami because, you know, his game kind of leveled off. He didn't take a step forward as people thought he was going to after his sophomore season. So you had two years of, you know, kind of whatever film from him that bumped him out of the first round. But if you only have one year of that kind of whatever film, you know, there might be a team that's willing to take that chance on a guy like Raquan Davis towards the end of the frame. Yeah, I mean, hopefully we don't have to worry about it because we're going to see a significant campaign in 2020. May not see the uh, out-of-conference games. We may see a slim-down bowl season, although hopefully the situation changes by then. Uh, you know, we're hoping that we get a 12-game season, even if it's only in-conference games, even if teams have to play each other twice during the season. Who cares? But it is interesting. It's something to talk about on how – a reduced or even a canceled, gosh forbid, season in 2019 really would have affected the 2020 draft. And I think everything we talked about is absolutely legitimate. 
Oh, yeah. And I mean, you, you look at this, there were, as I mentioned, 15 first round picks from the SEC last year. We only came up with five absolute yeses as to guys that would have definitely been first round picks if there had been no season or a canceled season. We had about three navies with Wills, Ruggs, and, and Kinlaw. And then we had seven guys who were just flat out no. So that means seven out of 15 players from one conference would not have been first round picks because of one fewer season of college film. I mean, that's pretty crazy to think about that. You know, half of this half of the first round, we aren't even looking at the other 17 picks, but half of these guys would not have been first round picks if COVID had hit one year earlier. Let's just hope uh, we get the, uh, we, we get a full season in that as we're expecting. And uh, this will all be just uh, fantasy and speculation for the 2021, 2021 draft. I think that's what we're all hoping for, Tony. But that's it for the 147th episode of the Draft Analyst presented by the Believe Sports Podcast Network. Do you believe? If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe on any of the major podcast platforms and leave us a rating and a review. And feel free to ask us questions on Twitter. We'd be happy to answer on the show. We'll be back next week to break down the notable NFL draft prospects from the Big 12. But until then, for Tony Pauline, this is Chris Tripodi. Good night. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.